We've been working our way through Genesis and focusing on different characters from that first book of the Bible. A few weeks ago, we heard Jacob preach about Jacob wrestling with the angels. That occurs near the end of um, the narrative about Jacob. We roll the clock back and look at a dream today that Jacob had uh, early in the time in which we see him. This is from 20, chapter 28, verse 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside Jacob and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And Jacob was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, as we hear of the dream of Jacob, help us through your word and your spirit to dream your dreams and to follow them. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Sometimes we may be hesitant to explore the Bible for fear that it is full of people who are so moral and holy that we cannot relate to them. But nothing is further from the truth. 
Even the heroes of faith we find in the Bible have their flaws. In the 1700s, the historian Edward Gibbon wrote, The wisdom of providence frequently condescends to use the passions of the human heart and the general circumstances of mankind as instruments to execute its purpose. People in the Bible are flawed in the same way that we are flawed, yet God uses them, and by extension, God uses us to execute the purposes of providence. With the exception of Jonah, there is no more comically flawed character in the Bible than Jacob. Part of the reason we know Jacob's flaws is that they make up, they make colorful children's stories and songs, which some of us said or heard or sang growing up. When Jacob is still in the birth canal, a mere finger's length behind his older twin Esau, Jacob grabs Esau's heel as Esau comes out firstborn, a harbinger of things to come. When the twins are young adults, Jacob, a quiet person who lives in tents, hears Esau, a man of the field, Storming around the tent, looking for food, opening the refrigerator, opening the pantry, shutting it, opening it again, shutting it, wondering where the food is because he has come in from the field hunting and he is, in the words of the Bible, famished. When Esau says, give me some of that red stuff you were cooking, Jacob seizes the moment and responds, first, you've got to sell me your birthright. Esau says, I'm about to die. Of what good is a birthright going to do me? So Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And Jacob throws in a complimentary loaf of bread on the side. Esau leaves happy for the moment, oblivious to the long-term implications of the deal to which he has just agreed. And Jacob, no doubt, is smiling inwardly. Years later, as their father nears death and has lost his eyesight, the twins' mother, Rebecca, instructs Jacob, her favorite, to disguise himself as Esau, the oldest, and approach Isaac to ask Isaac for a blessing. Jacob does everything his mother says, and he secures Isaac's blessing, albeit under questionable circumstances. But because in Israel, blessings once delivered are irrevocable, Jacob becomes the undisputed heir of the family mantle of land, descendants, and blessing promised by God for all of the benefit of the nations of the world. The shorthand on Jacob is that he steals his brother's birthright and blessing. That is why, in fact, he is initially named Jacob, which means the supplanter, the one who replaces somebody else. Now, in each of these episodes, whether he is aware of it or not, Jacob is placing himself in a position to live out the role that God has for him, a role that God had articulated to his mother, Rebecca, when Jacob and Esau were still in the womb. That role is God's new way of doing things. 
the elder shall serve the younger. But isn't it one thing to accept a role that God has for us and to seek to live into it? And another thing to grab a heel, to take advantage of a hungry sibling, or to trick a blinding, aging father in order to solidify and guarantee the role. Do the ends justify the means, even if the ends involve something God has already promised to do? Now, there are episodes in Jacob's life, equally well known, where Jacob is a model of integrity ingenuity, patience, and faith. Our story picks up with one of these episodes. When Esau realizes that Jacob has stolen his blessing from him, he threatens to kill Jacob. So Jacob flees for Haran to take refuge with his mother's brother Laban and to seek a wife there from his own people as well. Jacob leaves leaves Beersheba Quote, with only his walking stick. The narrator picks the story up as we heard today. Jacob comes to a certain place and stays there for the night because the sun has set. Taking one of the stones of the place, Jacob puts the stone under his head and lies down in that place. Notice that the narrator has used the word place three times in these opening two sentences. Something there is that's going on with place in this passage. The narrator continues. Jacob dreams that there's a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God are ascending and descending on the ladder. And then the Lord stands next to Jacob and speaks to Jacob. Now those of us who attend worship or hear the Bible taught or preached can become used to the phrase that God speaks to people, especially in the first part of the Old Testament. God speaks to Adam and Eve. God speaks to Noah. God speaks to Abraham and Sarah. We we hear this so often in the Bible that we barely notice it. But during all this time we've been following Jacob, God has never spoken to Jacob. So when Jacob lies down and goes to sleep in this place to which attention has been drawn, God speaks to Jacob in this place. It is a first for Jacob. A rare opportunity to hear from God directly rather than just through home and parents Concerning Jacob's future under God. When God speaks to Jacob, the words are actually more eloquent than any time God has spoken to anyone else in the past. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie. The place to which you have come. I will give you and your seed. And your seed shall be like the dust of the earth. And you Jacob shall burst forth just like a seed. To the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you Jacob. 
and in your seed. Seed, dust, bursting forth all the families of the earth. This language is beautiful. It is picturesque. Something special is happening in this dream of Jacob's ladder, in this place where Jacob sleeps, in this time where God first speaks to Jacob. The narrator continues. Then Jacob awakens from his sleep and bursts forth saying, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. The fourth use of place. Then Jacob is afraid and says, How awesome is this place? The fifth use. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob arises early in the morning and he takes the stone that he had put under his head and he sets it up for a pillar, an object of worship, a sanctuary, and he pours oil on top of it to anoint it. He calls that place Bethel, which means the house of God. The sixth use of place. Something special is happening in this place. Now, it has long been thought within Judaism that the place where Jacob lays his head is the place, Mount Moriah, where Abraham had come close to sacrificing Isaac. The place where God first speaks to Jacob is thus a place with which Jacob's family has been wrestling for three generations as the near sacrifice of Isaac had essentially led the family to fall apart. But when God speaks to Jacob, this place of pain becomes a place of healing. What was originally a place associated with trauma and pain and mystery has become for Jacob a place for healing. In a church I was serving in my early 40s, one of our elders who was five or six years younger than me was the son of a local man who had served in Vietnam and was had been missing in action for several decades. After the requisite number of years, the man had been declared legally dead. And the young, young man's mother had then married her second husband. Their marriage was honored and celebrated in the community. And this young man had grown to love his stepfather while continuing to carry love for his missing father whom he never really knew. In his 30s, the young man decided to travel to Vietnam to visit sites where his father had served, to learn more about where and how his father had been shot down, to see if there might be any reason for even faint hope that he still might be alive. 
He went back several times and he even took his own daughters as they entered high school. My sense is that his journeys to a place of trauma produced some measure of healing, some measure of closure. Like Jacob, a place of pain became a place of healing. The narrator next tells us that Jacob makes a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, God, I will give one-tenth back. Now, when we hear these words, we might think we're back again with the bargaining, Jacob. If God will be with me and give me bread and clothing, then the Lord shall be my God. You know, we've said that prayer before. But I think this is less the deal-making Jacob than the Jacob of awe and wonder and gratitude. God will keep me the way I go. God will take care of bread to eat and clothing to wear. Jacob is filled with gratitude for a world that may not require quite as much bargaining and subterfuge and deal-making as he has previously thought. He is moved to honor God by building an altar that will someday become the site of the temple and the temple mount. And by tithing all that he receives to God. How awesome is this place, Jacob says. It is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. Something else happens in Jacob's dream that is also a first. Know that I am with you, God says, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until you have come To that place I have promised. With these words. We're in Genesis 28. 27, 28 chapters into the book. But with these words. Jacob becomes the first person in the Bible. To whom God says. I will be with you. It is the statement. I am with you. That more than anything else solidifies in Jacob's mind his purpose as carrying on the family heritage of land, descendants, and blessed to be a blessing. It is this statement, I am with you, that awakens Jacob to action. 
From this point on in Genesis, Jacob will spend 20 years in Haran. He will enter four marriages. He will father 12 children who will become the 12 tribes of the people of Israel. And he will amass great wealth. And as we saw two weeks ago, when our Jacob preached on this Jacob, Jacob will have another encounter with God that will both lead him to reconcile with his brother Esau and leave him with a limp by which he will be remembered throughout Jewish and Christian history. Ancient rabbis associated Jacob with Proverbs 4.12, when you walk, your your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. It is amazing how any human being, including any of us, can burst forth when we discover our purpose in God, when we revisit a place of trauma and it becomes a place of healing, when we come to trust that God will be with us always. This, my friends, is how Jacob bursts forth. Amen.